Welcome to the Brandon New Podcast. I'm your host, Carly Lyon, and I'm dedicated to helping individuals elevate their personal brand, proactively shape their reputation, and attract the life and career they dream of. I interview leading creative professionals, communication experts, and social media gurus in a bid to uncover practical and cutting-edge personal branding strategies for you to apply. All sessions are recorded in front of a real audience asking real questions. If you want to learn more, please feel free to visit my website, carlylion.com, and discover other ways we can work together. For now, let's start the class. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Brand In You podcast. I am Carly Lyon, and I see it not only my personal mission, but also, and importantly, the mission of this show to help everyone who's listening shape, manage, and elevate their personal brand. And today, we are going to be talking about body language, what it is, why it's important, and how importantly you can use it to influence, impact, and connect with the people around you. Now, when I think of the term body language, there is really only one person that comes to mind, and that in itself shows the power of personal branding. So today, I am going to be speaking to that one person, and that is Professor Alan Pease. Now, let me give you a little bit of insight. I'm going to quickly read his bio. There's a very long version of this bio, but just a snapshot of what he's achieved. So, Alan Pease is an internationally acclaimed speaker, coach, entrepreneur, and one of the world's most successful authors, writing not one, not two, but 18 top 10 bestsellers, including the definitive book of body language, which I have right here with me, and most recently, The Answer. He's sold over 30 million books alongside his beautiful wife, Barbara, who I will be asking about as well. Alan's research has featured on the cover of magazines, including Forbes, Reader's Digest, and Oprah. He has appeared on stages in 70 different countries and has been a consultant to prime ministers, presidents, TV stars, lawyers, and criminals, which I I have to ask about that. So, Alan, thank you so much for being here with me today. Well, funny you say criminals go, it looks like I'm in prison here with a brick wall behind me. (laughs) I love the background. I think it's, I think it's very, very innovative. So, and when it comes to personal branding, it just looks on point. (laughs) Thank you. Like I said, so much for being here. Now, As you will have just heard, this podcast is all about personal branding. So how a person's showing up, how they're putting themselves out there, and obviously body language, and especially after reading your book, accounts for a lot of that, how a person's perceived and how they communicate. But before I dive into specific questions on body language, given this is a show about personal branding and you have such a prominent personal brand, it would be remiss of me not to actually ask you about your journey. And where I want to come at it from is, did you always have a master plan to become this world leading expert on body language or was did fate play a bit of a part in that? Well, the answer, general answer is yes. I specifically set out to do this. Okay. if you want to be a world authority, you've got to first decide that's what you will be on a particular topic and subject. So back in the late 1960s, long before most of your audience was born, <laughs> uh, I was teaching 
face-to-face marketing, selling communication skills because I was in the sales business. Mm-hmm. I always had a job knocking on doors selling after school as a teenager, and I was the king in Australia of pots and pans at 17. I can sell more pots and pans than you've ever seen, including <laughs> door knocking. So I was running training courses on how to do this. And a part of that was a small unit that I had in there that talked about when you're looking at somebody, how you can tell by their behaviour, by their movement, their gestures, what they might do next. Are they with you? Are they against you? Are they... Uh, are they negative? Are they positive? What are they? And, and mm. that was a segment that I created and put into my training that absolutely got the best response. Everybody loved this. Now, the interesting thing was when I was teaching this in the late 60s, salesmen were men. You'd rarely see a woman in it other than, say, cosmetics. Mm. So they were just a bit all men. And the, all these men were absolutely gobsmacked. But you could look at someone, and if you've asked a sales question, somebody leans back, cross their arm, put their hands on their mouth, tilts their head, that you're going to get a negative response. They kind of knew it, but they didn't know that they knew it. But what I found interesting was when they brought their wives, girlfriends, and sisters and mothers along to the sessions, the, all the women said, oh, yeah, that's right, that's how it works. So the women seemed to know about this. Mm-hmm. But the guys, they didn't seem to know about And it was so popular. I decided to put it into a handbook of 20 pages of basically reading gestures across the table. And they would knock me over in a rush to get this. So I thought, I'm going to write a book on this and I'll become an expert. So the response from my audience told me that this was so popular because nobody had ever heard about body language at this stage. Yeah. And then when I was 24 years of age, I put pen to paper and I wrote body language. It took me about two years. Wow. And um, it went to number one instantly. And I can remember saying, to my wife at the time, I said, now, if we sold 10,000 copies of this, it would be terrific. It was since sold a 7 million of that particular book. Oh, my God. It's been a, been a terrific book. And uh, I decided when I saw the response to it that I will become the expert in the world. So now, so one of the things about writing a book, you, you only need to write one book. You don't need 18 like we've done. We're, we're in the book writing. <laughs> yeah. We're in the business of writing books, and it is a business. But you only need to have one book. Mm. One book will give you the credibility and authority and whatever that subject is that you're writing about. All you've got to do is get the title right. The way to get title right is very simple. Go on Amazon.com, type in all the keywords in your subject, and look at all the books that are selling that have great titles, and you can see they'll tell you what people are paying money for. That's how you do it. That's a good tip. Don't think up your own title because only you like that probably. (laughs) I love that. We come up with body language. Yeah. uh, How to Read Other Sorts by Their Gestures was that first book. And I decided I would become an authority. So to become an authority, you've got to be visible. Now, Mm. remember, Kelly, at this time, this is back in the 70s, there were no computers and no mobile phones. And so uh, television and television talk shows were the way to go. So I I wrote out a a list of questions that as a host you would ask me and gave them the answers. In other words, if you're going to do television, which you should, if you want to become a personally branded authority, yeah. is don't wait for them to discover you or write the question. You write the questions, you give them the answers, and you tell them it's got, it's got to be entertaining. If not entertaining, you won't get invited back. It has to be, you don't have to be a comedian, but you've got to say stuff that is a bit funny and a bit over the top. And a bit humorous, which I'm I'm pretty good at, I think. And so uh, I I wrote I sent it out to all the TV talk shows at the time, and uh, there were about maybe six or eight of the morning shows, breakfast shows, lunch shows, midday show, and the nighttime shows. And uh, I hooked the first one called the Ray Martin Show. He had a show called Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah 1977, yeah. and his show was called um, Midday with Ray Martin. Yes. Uh, I'm sorry, Midday with Mike Walsh. was Mike Walsh, sorry. Oh, okay. Well, Ray Martin's, yes, had a great yeah, show as well. Mike yeah. and I did Ray Martin for seven years in the 80s, uh, in the 90s. So Mike Walsh 
said to me, he said, look, they said, we've got somebody who was a guest coming in, they've cancelled, can you come in a short notice and fill in? So I said, yes, I raced in. You normally get about uh, eight minutes if you're good, four minutes if you're a dud. <laughs> and when I arrived, a second guest didn't turn up. So they said, well, you know, could you go a bit longer? Oh, can I go a bit longer? And so I did the Mike Wells show, and as a result of that, Body Language went to number one in Australia. Amazing. It was a massive thing. And I must have been nobody more shocked than me. I'd, I'd never done this before. I was still only a young fellow at the time. And then we used that to jump into other countries in the world, which they didn't pick it up and run with it because nobody had heard of this before. I had to get on a plane and door knock up and down Wall Street and door knock up and down uh, Pall Mall in London, where all the publishers were, to get someone to buy this thing. So to answer you, that's a long answer to the question, but the question was, yes, I intentionally set out to become an expert in an area. Now, the danger of doing that is that if that area becomes unpopular or society changes, you're out of business. Yeah. So then I decided, Barb and I decided to write books that were in other areas that would cover that in case the expert of body language fell over. Because I figured in no time there'll be 100 body language experts, which <clears throat> there wasn't. It wasn't for about 30 years. Nobody turned up. So that. you were the only person, really. Yeah. What? And in terms of the question I want to ask you, you know, 24, you're writing this book about body language was at the time, you know, so early on in the piece, you really pioneered the space. Right. At the time, was there research that you were able to draw upon or was this very much your experience, intuitive? Where were you pulling all of that content to write a book about it? Well, the initial basis was from the sales arena where we'd have cameras hidden, set, set up in rooms and we would film people being interviewed. Oh, no. This is in the days when you can do it without permission. You can set up a hidden camera yeah. and find yeah. out by, by a salesperson or a marketer making certain changes or behaviour, how did it affect or how did the person who was the potential prospect respond? So it was based largely on that and also based largely on what a lot of the women had told me about what they observed that they know that happens. You know, when people move back slightly that suddenly you've just probably said something they didn't like. And so it was a it was a hands-on collection. There were probably at that time three manuscripts that were available that studied body language, which it wasn't called at that time. Uh, they were all technical aspects right. that were sitting in universities, and you wouldn't read them. They were boring. I yeah. found fascinating. <laughs> and so I, I used those three. So as it turned out, I, I wrote all the research stuff that became That's a stuff they teach in universities. In fact, even today, not only do they teach it in universities everywhere, but even some of the things I got wrong, they still teach. <laughs> <laughs> That's not a great, but but you know, God, in the world of fake news and misinformation, I I, I think it's just what it is. Now you spoke of women, and it would, it's you've written eighteen bestsellers with your beautiful wife. How did that come about? How did you both, you know, was that a a conversation you had? She had a shared passion for this area. Was she already? you know, an educator in her own area. How did it come that you basically built this powerhouse joint brand as well? Yeah, that was an interesting one. Um, I wrote four books on my own before I met Barbara. I wrote Body Language and Three Hours right. on Communication. And uh, Barbara and I, have been, we've been together married for 33 years now. Oh, wow. I met her at a conference. She was teaching body language using stolen material for my videos. <laughs> yeah, I, I met her. She, I, she said, I teach all your stuff. My students love it. And I, I asked, what's the name of your company? She told me. I said, I don't remember them buying any videos. She said, no, no, these are pirated ones. A friend of mine copied them. I said, you're not allowed to do that. She said, yeah, I know. I <laughs> love it. 
I said, right, honey, you're going out of business. <laughs> and marrying me, yeah. So, so uh, we got together and we, we figured we'd make a, a great double act as a couple. Yeah. From, just from a personal standpoint. And then uh, in business together, she started running the business because she said to me, now this business you're running, it was worldwide at the time. By then, when she said, I can do better than that. You're not real good at it. Yeah. It's true, I wasn't. I mean, I'm, I'm the face-to-face guy on TV. And so she took over the business and the business started to go pretty dramatically in terms of getting more and more bookings, getting bigger and bigger interviews. And we decided... We'd been married for three years, and hmm. a backstory. Our marriage was like, was like a Hollywood movie, Kelly. It really was. It, you know, it was like you know, standing on the front of Titanic, and it was great. It was just it was like a movie. And normally those movies we now understand go for three to nine months in new love. Yeah, That's yeah. Hormones of, of reprogramming your brain. You have rose-colored glasses. All you can see is a perfect person, and it goes three to nine months. That's why most breakups happened between three to nine months months in new love relationships but anyway, as went three years that we just did not seem to stop uh and after three years it was still a movie but the movie had changed to uh freddy krueger's part three <laughs> i i don't know where to go with the question on that how did it turn into that well you know to the it's the pendulum effect to the extent you love and yes and when it goes the other way it goes the opposite so we ran into the typical issues that all couples run into. Yeah. Now, today yeah. we're politically correct and we're supposed to pretend to each other that men and women think the same way. And if you've had any experience with men and women, which you have and I have, and most of the viewers have, you'll know it's not true. We're not the same. Sure, 7% or less of people are different. That's true. That's where all the fuss is. But for 93% of us, that's not true. We are different. Not better, not worse. We're different. Yeah. So we, we, we were faced with a situation where this wasn't going to work anymore. We just were at each other's throats. So we decided to write a list of all the things about each other we couldn't stand. So we thought, Let's How long was the list? So, well, a funny thing about that, we started doing this in our classes years later, getting a couple, yeah. couple therapy to write a list of what you can't stand about your partner. If they only fix this, these things, things would be good. Uh, and most men, when we did that, would have, you know, three to five <laughs> things on their list, you know, Sex, lack of a variety, usually being at the top of that list. Yeah. Uh, so by page three, I said to Barbara, look, you've got to stop. We came to the conclusion, if, if we can negotiate these major things that we have difficulty living with, find out why they are what they are, and they give solutions. And that became the basis of the book, Why Men Don't Listen and Women Can't Read Maps. Oh my God! Which turned into a show, uh, right? It, you, well, you turned, had a- I turned it not only a show. It had, we've got four stage plays in Europe on it. Uh, it became a number one box office movie in Europe. It was massive. It took twenty-two million euros in its first month. It was just overwhelming how big this thing was, and wow. that really was the story of our life. And we we looked at the science. I'm a science junkie, Carly. Yeah. We researched why why do men and women think think differently, behave the same way? We have different agendas, and. and so the big problem that men and women have getting together, and this eventually happened to us, and it happens to nearly all couples, is that, that a woman will get together and have a permanent relationship or marry a guy, and she's saying, well, look, he, the 10 things I wanted a guy, he's only got three, but when he's with me, he's going to be different. He'll change. And he doesn't. <laughs> I mean, if, if you take up with a guy at 20, by the time he gets to 40, he's the same guy. He's just older. That's all that's changed. <laughs> we, we, men will marry or live with, with their with their partners, with the female partners, on the basis of, well, 
she's absolutely perfect. She's got everything I want and she'll never change. And every 10 years she does. Every she does. Years she becomes another woman. So a woman who's 20 is a totally different person at 30. And when she's 40, she's different again. At 50, she's changed again because of how hormones behave in a female body. Mm-hmm. And for men, we get the same hormones, same mood all month. You know, we just get older and slower. For women, you become a new person. It's and so if you're not anticipating that to happen, it's a hell of a shock. And at those 10-year points is where couples tend to separate. So we worked out what do we have to do with each other to negotiate. Yeah. So behave and live with her so she's happy and there are things that she wanted me to do and say that as a man made no sense it wasn't <laughs> bothered doing all that stuff for example and the things that i needed and wanted that she said that, that's why would you do that because well, i'm a guy that's what we do so you basically your books that went on to become mega bestsellers and movements were based on your own experience in your marriage. Well, there were four. There were four books in that series of why men don't and women, yeah, don't. And the first one sold thirteen million. Oh my god, that's so amazing! In fifty-six languages, it went absolutely everywhere. And the other, the funny thing that we, we travelled the world constantly for twenty years and averaging about thirty to forty countries every eighteen months. Wow! Whatever country we went, whether it was Iceland or Botswana or South America or Australia that when we would talk about men and women and their relationships and how to develop strategies for getting on, people thought that we'd been looking through their bedroom window and writing this stuff back because it was the same in every country. Men and women <laughs> had the same problems. It's a pure science. Yeah. So, do, you, okay. do you both, when you're on stage, Alan, do you do a lot more of the speaking side of things in the business or do you share that just depending on what the topic is? So you've got a whole series oh, yeah. of talks. So historically, uh, I'm the key speaker. Yeah, I, okay. I love standing up and speaking. Barbara doesn't love it so much. Okay. She runs our business. We, we operate five businesses, and she runs everything. She's the CEO, and I, I'm the face largely. Uh, now, the reason to answer your, finish answering your original question that, that we decided we'd do two of us together is we found when I went on television or radio mm. talking about uh, women can't park cars. Mm. And, and I can show you the science that proves why the part of the brain that needs testosterone uh, is far stronger in male-oriented brains and female-oriented brains. And it still is. It hasn't changed. Yeah. It doesn't change because we change our attitude about it. It's still the same. My husband would agree, yeah. Yeah, well, well four out of five would to some extent. And so <laughs> I found that if I went on television, for example, and said, Look, most women can't park their car properly. In fact, I said this in England. I said, they're so bad in Asia that they should take women's license away and issue a bus pass for public safety. Now, obviously, I'm stirring up because that gets media like you wouldn't believe, but I would be attacked and attacked by feminists. And I women. can imagine. Oh, it was, you know, we sold millions of books, but I'm being <laughs> by women. But what we found was that when Barbara and I did it together, if she said exactly the same thing. Yeah, she could. They'd all say, wow, that's very interesting, and they take notes. <laughs> so, so what happened, but in the Northern Hemisphere, and we lived in the UK for 12 years after this all took off, because that was the, the key for our European market, and we lived in, sure. in Russia three months of the year for 31 years as a result of all this. And uh, Barbara in Europe became the face. She was the face that they, because it's a very feminist, uh, feminist era and politically correctness was coming, and they wanted to see a beautiful, blonde, smart woman who's an yep. author. So I became yep. the handbag. <laughs> Which, the man bag. Okay, well, I didn't mind that because I've been working hard enough. Whereas in the Southern Hemisphere, she was the handbag, if you like. And so we worked this out pretty quickly that I could make really challenging statements to people. Yeah. And and she would answer the questions and back them up as a woman. And everybody accepted that. 
If I did it on my own, I would be hung from the nearest tree. And that's still the case today. Well, the case today, I mean, with titles like why men don't listen to women can't read maps or can't do anything. Today, you are asking for be hung from a tree if you're a, a male. Uh, whereas Barbara can say that stuff because she'll tell you she couldn't part reverse park because they have a life. She got no spatial skills. She'd rather park right down the road in a big space and walk back than try and reverse this thing in. Now, I got her a Tesla which parks itself, but she'd still rather park down the street and walk back. And she's one of the brightest. She runs multi million dollar business worldwide, but she can't park. And I can park. <laughs> That's, that is definitely a badge of honor. And it is interesting the times that we find ourselves in and whether those same statements will fly in the same way and it's also really interesting you know obviously we're here today to talk about how to use body language for to influence and connect but your book the definitive book of body language is just as applicable in the workspace in relationships like all areas of life and you talk about especially men, what men can say about women, how men treat women, you know, the interactions, what's right, what's wrong. You know, from my experience, and this is a, a whole podcast episode on its own, but men are really confused about how to use their body language, how to interact with women in a work setting in a way that's allowed. Yes. Uh, so you could run workshops on that. I think there's a, there's a book in that, Alan. But that, that one's, yeah, it's a hard You're one. Right. Look, one of the things that we discovered, um, certainly pre-COVID, because COVID shut down the seminar business for two years. It wasn't yeah, really well. But before that, we would run, we were running three to four meetings a year on our property. We, we live in a rainforest and 40 acres here in, in the sunny coast. We've got a conference set and we would run small seminars of mm. 80 people on average to come for a weekend. We teach them about goal setting, relationships, self-improvement. And... Um, one of that, what, what was I talking about? What was the question again? I lost my channel. <laughs> talking about men. On memory. <laughs> <laughs> talking about men using the oh, appropriate yeah, yeah. body language. Well, what we found was interesting was the amount of young men who would come, young men being yeah. under 30 who would come, who had no concept about how to talk to women. Now, mm. if, they, if they could SMS and type them on, on their phone, they're very happy. But face-to-face, -face, they just didn't know what to do. And we'd never seen that before in our lives. Mm. Older guys like me, we were raised in a, an era where you were taught how to behave with a woman and whatever the proper etiquette was, which yeah. – a lot of that stuff's not seen as proper. For example, at a seminar, I, I would say in the past, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. I wouldn't dare say that now because mm -hmm. ladies and gentlemen is an assumption. See, a lady is a woman who's got an attitude. Yeah. A gentleman is a man who's got an attitude. So now I say, good evening, everybody. Yes. <laughs> so you've got, you've got to pick key words as to what you say. Otherwise, being an older, white-skinned, grey-haired male, you know, I'm a big target for everybody in the world. However, having said that, we use that to get us in front of the media and to keep that person. Yeah. Now, that's the guy. So when they think of body language, as you said earlier, uh, my name comes to the top of the list. I say, yeah, oh, that's absolutely. the guy who does the body language. Yeah, absolutely. And on that note, we're talking about influence and connection and how to use body language. I mean, your book, like I said, it, it's – it's a big book. There's lots of tips in here. You go into a lot of detail and really specify the different parts of the body. When you think of an influential person and how they can use their body language to influence, what might be some of the top, maybe top three even tips that we would need to focus on to really convey that message and that image of influence? Okay. Well, based on the premise of the whole book, 
that his body language is simply an outward reflection of your emotional condition. Mm -hmm. Whatever emotions you're feeling, happy, sad, proud, depressed, is likely to be revealed in gestures, movements, expressions, and so on. So the art of reading body language, you're simply reading a person's emotional state. Mm -hmm. You don't match it up with what you hear them saying under the circumstances under which it's happening, and that gives you a clue about what could be going on in their head. And on average, uh, female brain people, we'll call them women for this exercise, the female brain people are two to three times better than their male counterparts on doing this. Wow. From an evolutionary standpoint, it makes sense that would be the case because men have spent their lives out throwing spears at animals and not talking because you chase the animals away. But women evolved in groups with other women where you needed to be able to suss out how the other people feeling about you so they didn't kick you out of the group. So it makes sense that female brains would be wide. And on brain scans, we can see where this is, how they're far more wide than male brains to work out what's going on. And that's why we say to men, don't lie to women to their face. Ring them up. <laughs> Send a text. If she can see you, man. You are in big trouble because she'll see contradictions between what does you know, the woman yourself. You can see the contradiction between what he's saying and what you're hearing, even though you consciously don't know that that's what you're saying. That's, I'm not letting my husband hear that tip, Alan, by the way. Do well, not lie to me. him in the dark, Carly. Yeah, you? I will. I will. I will. <laughs> so, so that's, that's for a man wanting to. When so a woman can read body language a lot better. So what would be? How do we? What do we need to do to convey that message of influence, man or woman? When when we say a woman, we're talking about female brain people because around twenty percent, roughly of of males, that is X Y chromosome body people, have a female oriented brain to a greater or less extent, Mm -hmm. uh, including gay guys. Gay guys have a largely feminized brain, but they've got an X Y chromosome body, and they can read body signals better than straight guys. Uh, So when we say men and women, I'm talking about female brain people or male brain people, which that hasn't changed at all, whether they're homosexual or gay or straight or whatever. It's all exactly the same. Okay, so. Three tips for starters. Well, if, if you want to persuade someone, get them on side, get them mm-hmm. to like you and to buy you is what you're doing. Yeah. You've got to first be non-threatening. Yeah. And for leadership, we found this was a challenge in the last few decades because leadership historically was male-oriented, testosterone-driven, mm-hmm. uh, saying, yeah, you do this, follow me with a flag or die. Yeah. That's all gone. Now leadership is, is more a female brain or a feminine-type approach. They're like a coach. That's coaching the team. They normally run behind the team rather than in front. So if somebody feels comfortable with you, they feel you're not threatening, they feel that they identify with you, and that that means that they're likely to give you a fair hearing. Yep. And they're likely to follow you. You don't have to browbeat people to get them to say yes. That's selling techniques back in the 40s. That's so old. But now you've got to present that you're non-threatening that they like you and that you're saying things that they want to follow you, become what's called a, a charismatic or magnetic personality in there. It's been estimated about 3% of people have that somewhere. We call it the, char- the charisma gene. It's not a gene, but 3% of people somehow walk into a room and everyone says, who's that? And they're drawn to them and listen to them, want to follow them. Bill Clinton's one of these people. And you uh, think that's a gene or is that something that he's well, no, practiced and perfected? No, we're we're not it. sure what it is. Nobody is okay. able to know the pinpoint. We call it the charisma gene because it's an easy way of tagging what it is. Yeah. And Bill Clinton's like that. Bill Clinton in a room, uh, people are drawn to him. They listen yeah. to him. They're, they're absolutely amazed by the guy. Yet if you look at his history, the some of the stuff he did, you go, my God, that's incredible. Uh, if 
if George Bush had no charisma, Gene, the other president, if, if he had a girlfriend on the side like Monica Lewinsky or did some of the things Bill Clinton did, he wouldn't be in jail. Let's throw him out. Yet Bill Clinton, everybody forgives the guy, and he still charges $100,000 for a lunch talk to talk about how he did it. It's incredible. He's, he's got he really does. Yeah. 97% of us don't have that. The good news is that you can learn basic behaviours that make you easy on the eye, easy to accept, and easy to be around. So let's talk, talk about three tips that you ask for. Number one, when you talk, talk with your palms visible. This is really important. Have them visible. Mm. Now, I, open palms, yeah. there are more connections between the brain and the palm of the hand than any other body, any other body part. So clearly these have a specific purpose, including men, Carly, can you believe it? More cakes for the hands. Yeah. Now, if you're talking with people and they can see your palms, yeah. they will perceive their brain, their ancient brain, the limbic system perceives you as non-threatening. And monkeys and chimps do the same. If monkeys and chimps don't want to be appear to be threatening, they hold their hands up like this. Really? So speak to you with your I've, hands. I've, yeah, I've got nothing concealed in my hands, nothing under my arms. Whereas a chimpanzee running along with his hands behind his back is not to be trusted because he clearly he's got something back there, doesn't want you to see what it is. And this is hardwired into our limbic brains. So if you talk with your palms, primarily in an upward position like this, people will yeah. find it easy to listen to, easy on the eye. And we've, we showed very conclusively with lots of experience, but have been duplicated everywhere, that speakers who talk with their palms up where they're putting a deal to the audience have a much greater chance of getting a yes than the speakers who give the same presentation with a palm down. Really? Palm down is an authority. Around 40% better with the palm up. Now you think about handshakes. If you have your, somebody gives you a palm down handshake and you push your hand on, you've gone into a submissive position and yeah. you realize you, you'll feel it in your gut. You'll say, oh, this, this person's just got me. But you don't know how or why. It just happens so quickly. And finger pointing people have the least response from being influential. People don't, they judge them personally badly because the like you're at a club and you're hitting that idiot on the head to hit him into submission. So the first thing is, as you talk, keep the palms visible. Uh, as you're listening or talking to someone with yeah. eye contact, the key is to mirror the amount of eye contact because mm. it varies from culture to culture. So if, for example, you're Korean or Asian, their eye contact is far less than Westerners. Yeah. In Western societies like you and I, Carly, we, we meet our gaze two-thirds of the time in a non-threatening social position and yeah. we look away one-third. Two-thirds on, one-third off, two-thirds on, and that makes everybody feel relaxed. Whereas in, say, South America, if you're talking to people, particularly to South American women, uh, they will look away 90% and look back at you 10%. Mm. Japan's the same. Japan, the Japanese will stare at your throat, so they avoid looking in your eyes because staring in the eyes is seen as rude or aggressive. Now, if you're not aware of that, you're likely to think, this lying little guy, he won't, he's lying his head off. He won't look at me. You'll fact, read it wrong. And he's wondering, or she's wondering, why are they trying to stare me out here? <laughs> so mirror the <laughs> amount of eye contact. You don't, if, if it's a person with a different accent to yours, whatever frequency of eye contact they're using, you do the same. And as you listen, you nod your head in groups of three. Now, as you're listening, see my head is slightly on an angle. Yeah. Yeah. You, know, you talk to a dog, he tilts his head. Yeah, yeah. Well, humans, friendly. you're doing it right now. <laughs> yeah, if if you're interested in Keen and what you're hearing, we tilt our head at it, and that encourages the other person to give more of that information. So you tilt your head and you nod three times, not five, not two, not one, three. One, three times. Three. Stop. One, two, three, stop. Now, what we found is when you do that, people will keep talking two to three times longer with more information than if you hadn't have done that. Right, so you're sending them the signal that you, you want to keep listening, so you're encouraging We're them. We're doing it now. 
Yeah. Doing the same right now. Now, I'll give you an example. Let's say, um, tell me how you got started in this business, Carly, and I'm just going to nod at you, but you just talk freely, okay? How did you get started in this business? I launched my own PR consultancy at the age of 21 because a mentor of mine told me that I should go into PR. Okay, let's let's ask the same. Now I nodded three times. I changed my yeah. angle. Fifteen degrees is the angle that says I'm not going to cut you off. I'm listening. Yeah. Let's do yeah. the same question again, except I'll change how I nod. Okay, nod five times this time. So, how'd you get started in this business, Carly? Uh, I launched my own PR consultancy at 21 because a mentor. <laughs> it looks like you're trying to hurry me up. Yeah, yeah like five stop times means shut up, shut up. <laughs> so what happens if we're listening to somebody and they're boring the pants off us? We're likely just to, to try to look interested and go yeah, 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 yeah. Which means shut up, and it actually stops people talking. So nod three times, mirror the eye contact, keep the palms visible as you talk. If people can't see your palms, they will start to get a feeling of suspicion about you if they don't know you. And it goes back to our very primitive past. So there are three simple things. And as you said, body language, really probably 200 of those things in there, maybe more, I'm not sure. But Now, when you talk about the cultural differences, and, and I've certainly experienced that when I'm speaking to an Asian audience, yeah. that, that all makes sense. So that's obviously hardwired into their beings and their bodies. When you're talking to someone who really lacks confidence and the reason they're not showing or not looking into your eyes is because it's a, a mirror of their insecurity, you should still mirror how much or is it do you try to pry them into looking into your eyes? Do you still mirror how much they're giving you? Mirror the frequency, yes. The so frequency, if, okay. if you're looking down and I'm looking at you, and I, I'm, I seem to be staring at you, but you're, I notice you're looking down because uh, people with low self-esteem will do this regularly. Mm. Uh, there's cultural differences in Asia, South America, Korea, where they'll do that because looking in the eyes can be seen as aggressive or rude. So if you're looking down, when you look up and meet my eyes, I'll nod three times, then I'll look down. In other words, I don't want to give the impression I'm staring at you. So if I do that, you'll start to say to you, your brain will say, I really like this person. I, I don't know why. There's Somehow I feel comfortable with them. And that's the great thing about mirroring. By copying people's behaviour, they feel comfortable with you, that you're not threatening or not judging. Now, in Scandinavia, social eye contact is 80% of the time. So if you're talking to Sven in Norway or Sweden, uh, you'll think he's staring you out, Carl. You're looking away. Why is this guy staring at me? And he's thinking, why won't you look me in the eye? What are you hiding? <laughs> It's, yeah, it can be. I would imagine that's a bit of a minefield, but it just would take educating yourself around those cultural practices yes. to to better understand and to show up in those places. It's funny mirroring. In my early PR days, I did represent a, an NLP master, yeah. and I learned a lot about mirroring at that point. And I always wondered. At what point does it become too forced and obvious? Like, where would you say is that line? Because I've definitely been in meetings where I, it's like I can see they're trying to mirror my gestures and it's so obvious that it, it makes me not trust them. But I know when it's done subtly, it's so powerful, as you say. Well, you're dead right. Because remember that gestures are an outward reflection of your emotional conditions. Uh -huh. If you're using the same gestures, and behaviours yeah. as the people you're talking with, uh, yeah. unconsciously, they say to themselves, there's something about you I like. They don't know what it is. What, um, what their brain is saying is, I see your attitudes reflected, uh, my attitudes reflected in, in you. That's why you create a rapport. So how long does it take before you look like you're faking it or forcing it? It's like riding a bicycle. 
when you yeah. first put on, you're wobbling all over the place. You might even fall off a couple of times. Once you get the hang of it, yeah. So when, when you're talking with people, the key to mirroring is wait at least two seconds after they make a movement before you before you do it. So right. if okay. you put your hand on your chin, just try to put your hand on your chin. Yeah. No copy. So obvious. Yeah. With these, oh, that's right. Whereas if you do it, if we're talking like this, then you put your hand on your chin. So do it now. Okay. So body language is it's the sort of thing that over a period of time. Mm-hmm. See, so I'm, I'm I'm just lagging behind you. So therefore, it doesn't appear that I'm, I'm aping you or copying you. Yeah. So you talk about, and you've said it a few times now, that body language is the outward expression of what's happening inside. If inside my fundamental feeling and thought is, I really like this person, I'm really interested in what this person is saying, will my body naturally start to mirror? Is that part of the phenomenon or is it really that you need to consciously practice this skill or is it a bit of both? Well, it's a bit of both because some some people are not emotive. They keep themselves. Mm. I I talk with... uh, Russian audiences, I mean, not recently, obviously, but uh, I lived lived there collectively three months of the year for over three decades. Wow. For the Russian audience, they'll be sitting there like this, Mm. like dead, and and internally they're saying, this is the best time of my entire life. I'm having a great time, but you can't tell. And and I've I've seen American speakers, I can think of one in particular, did a seminar with just before COVID, we had 48,000 people in the the, uh, big arena in Moscow. And it's this guy's first time there, and he was very American, rah, rah, And he was talking to this audience, and they were sitting there like this, having the best time. <laughs> yeah, and he thought that they were just it. sitting there thinking, oh, what a load of garbage this is. Oh. And so he started to really get stuck into them and tell them off and pick on people. No. I'm thinking, well, why is he picking on us? We haven't done anything. And they got really resentful about it because he he misunderstood that yeah. cultures behave the same as we are. And this is the key that if you go to any other culture in the world, as, as you know, as a speaker, yeah. you've got to say, what's the normal way of behaving? You've got to watch for how much do they touch or not touch. Yeah. In France, they're touching you all the time, whereas in most parts of Australia, if somebody's touching you all the time, you're likely to go, get your hand off because being a British-based culture, essentially, uh, we're a non-touching culture compared to, say, Italians and French. Yeah. I spent a lot of time in, in Europe and France and Italy. You know, they, if they like you, they've got their hand around you. They're kissing you on the cheek and they're rubbing my stomach. You know, <laughs> I, go, I, I just go, oh, even though, look, I've got to tell, it, it does make me feel sometimes uncomfortable at the start. But after yeah. a while, I realise this is what they do. It, if I yeah. don't hug them and rub their stomach, they're going to think, I don't like them. <laughs> So you really do have to clue into to where you are. Now, I have to say, talking about mirroring and, and the power of that, one of the things that I came across in the book, now, a, a big part of my audience are, are women. Yes. And you talk about when women are dealing with a dominant man in business, yes. that they should mirror the amount of, so try not to smile as much and or mirror the amount that he smiles. Yes. Well, that's right. One of the differences between the, between gender, between men and women, even though, as I said, now we've we've all voted that we smile the same now, but the reality is we don't. Mm. And it's unlikely, certainly in our generation, that it will change much at all. Uh, on average, women smile four times more than men in business scenarios. Mm. And that's why women, when they're dealing with men in business, uh, they, they tend to think that these guys are all poker face 
and they interpret that they're not happy or they're angry with me or they're disapproving. But whereas mm-hmm. the guy might be thinking, yeah, gee, she's really smart. She's got great stuff going here. But he might also be criticizing. You don't know in business. Yeah. Like men mask. Masking is, is what people do when they get in an elevator or on a bus or on a train. We remove our emotions so we look like we're dead. And that, that gives the illusion that people traveling on the bus or train are all very unhappy. Well, they're not. They're masking their emotions because uh, you, you try getting on a bus or trying to go, hello, everybody. <laughs> See what happens to you. They'll put you off at the next stop. <laughs> it's, so, it's kind of sad, but it's true. Yeah, we do. We have that mask, now, smiling that is, resting face. Women will not like what I'm going to say, but I'm going to give you the science behind this. Smiling is a submission signal used by primates. Monkeys and chimps do it too. You bring back the corners of your mouth, they go up, not down, because down is fear. Up is is what's called a play face. <laughs> and if, it, if a chimp or a monkey, if he doesn't want to be seen as aggressive because he's with a bunch of other chimps, he doesn't know them, he's just met them, uh, he'll yeah. make a submissive smile, show his teeth, and he'll make a little sound. <laughs> 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 Which is what when you think about it, that's what we do, oh, right? We do. Oh, oh, yeah. Like you cannot laugh and smile like we are now and be stressed or unhappy or angry. You can't do it because the gesture's creating the emotion in you. So, uh, which raises the question that I thought of back in the 70s, why is it, why are we the only land animal that reveals its teeth on a greeting but doesn't bite? Because if a dog smiles at you or a shark smiles, you're in trouble, right? Because it's a warning yeah. signal. But for yeah. us, it's a mission signal. So, that led on to, that's why I'm a science junkie. What, what makes it submissive to show human and primate teeth? Well, they're vegetarian teeth, fruit cutters, nut grinders. There's nothing threatening about our teeth. If we sure. smiled and we had pointed teeth right through, people would be scared like a dog. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes, so women, what we found is that women uh, in social situations, certainly yeah. business situations, smile uh, up to four times more than men. So as a result... Men start thinking she's not very powerful. Right. She's using a submission signal far more than right. he is. That's why if you're a woman and you're presenting your story to men, mirror the amount of smiling they use. Otherwise, they're likely to think that you don't have the power. They won't know why they think that. They just go, oh, Yeah, she hasn't got the she hasn't got the grunt. Yeah. So I can see why that. I can see why that would give the impression. It's really interesting because part of what I do is a profile photography. And a lot of the time the women come in and when they're nervous, they smile a lot. And we've actually made a point of talking about, well, do you want to come across as really smiley in that regard? Or do you want to come across a lot more seriously? And sometimes why they don't want to come across seriously is they're worried that it will look too staged or it doesn't show their personality. So, uh, yeah. Well, if you see pictures of couples together and you know, like real estate agents put their pictures everywhere. Yeah. Two of them, a man and a woman, inevitably she'll have a smile of some sort and he'll be. Yeah. And he'll be more straight faced. He, he would have masked to hide his emotions. And so when people look at that photograph of the man and woman together, without any awareness, they give him more power credits. They go, mm-hmm. he's obviously by in charge because he's not showing a submission signal. And uh, and I know we're all supposed to smile the same way now, but we don't. It's important to understand that when you're dealing with 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 men and you're a woman, you've got a mirror. Now, if you're a man dealing with women, you've got to go the other way. If you go in with, with a with a masked face and huh. I say, yeah, with women, they're going to say, oh, he's a bit aggressive. He's a bit unfriendly. He doesn't like us. So, 
you've got to emote with women. Whatever women are talking about, and that's what we teach men, whatever the, they're talking about, and a lot of it is emotive stuff, is that you mirror their emotions on your face. So did you? Wow. <laughs> Can't imagine that. <laughs> now, I'm overacting to make the point. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah, I get it. If you sit there going, uh, they're going to think he doesn't like us or he's not with us. Mm, got to hear it both ways. Yeah, it's fascinating. Now, I have to selfishly ask you this question because in you can see I wear red lipstick. It's a it's part of my signature style. Okay, and I go in, I work with men a lot. And in the book, you talk about how that might not be a great thing. And I was like, oh, no, but it's good when working with women. Yes. But not in it. So tell me about that because I know it's kind of body language, right? It's an extension of how we're dressing our body. Yes, yes. What's that about? Well, as soon as I saw your riddler stick, I thought, oh, I hope she doesn't bring this up as a question. <laughs> 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 you might be happy with the answer. Well, first thing to understand, looking at the evolutionary biology of humans, yeah. we're the only primate that has lips outside the face. Monkeys and chimps, their lips are inside like that. Right. Then the kiss they've got a. They've got to invert them. Stick it out. They've evolved on the outside of our face. Yeah. They've evolved as a sexual display because they're a mirror of another body part. Yeah. Yeah. When that other body part becomes excited and around, it fills with blood, and all the extremities of your body will fill with blood. So your nose will actually get bigger, your earlobes will get bigger, your toes will get bigger, and for men, other parts. Uh, for women, the lips will fill with blood and become bigger. And so the art of painting the lips red goes back, as far as we can see through artwork, historically back to the Egyptians. It goes a long way back. By painting bright red on your lips, you are displaying a sexual arousal position, to put it straight in your face. Yeah. Now, if you're dealing with women um, and there's no men around, that'll work. But if you're dealing with women and there's men around, they're likely to think she's trying to put on a tarty thing to get all of his attention. That's the danger. Right. And so you don't want women thinking that you're trying to catch the guy's attention better than they are. So the thing we suggest for women in business is safer to go for muted colours. Right. Uh, definitely wear lipstick. You definitely wear lipstick. But the bright, if you're going on a date with your boyfriend or your husband, you wear exactly what you're doing right now. Yeah. You want the guy's attention. You want him to be impressed and, and yeah. look at you. In business situations, if that happens, they're likely to judge you by your femininity or potential femaleness mm -hmm. and not by what you know. Okay. That's the danger. Same with long, droopy earrings. The longer the earrings, uh, the less men pay attention to what you say and the more they judge your femininity. Which makes it, which is what, it's so interesting, Alan, because this is what a lot of my clients have been fighting up against as women in business, as le female leaders. And they've got this internal, I don't want to succumb to that. I, I want to be myself. I want to express my femininity. I want to lean into that. But then it makes, it does make sense, you know, from all of the research and science that you're no doubt completely across that there is still that element of, how the male brain perceives those signals right. and it it's i mean i don't know where do you think the answer lies a woman wants to be more feminine as a leader yes. but then is she going to be at a disadvantage with her male counterparts because she's expressing that femininity yeah, it's a tricky one for women. As men, we don't have this issue because we don't decorate no. the face. It's just, and we all wear pretty boring, similar clothing. Yeah. So we don't have those same issues. 
Yeah. Uh, but, but you're right. This this is a, it's a serious issue for women because you want to maintain your femininity, but you don't want it to be distracting. A bit like if you went to an interview with a bunch of men with a low-cut dress with cleavage, yeah, they wouldn't yeah. hear a word you said. They yeah. really wouldn't. Yeah. Bright uh, red lipstick and long dangling earrings fits in the same category. They start judging you by your femininity and femaleness as opposed to what you say. Yeah. So, if it's a male you want to mute it right down. Mute the eye, mute the eye displays down, uh, mute the powder down, mute the lipsticks, especially the bright red stuff. Go for the, you know, the more pastel type colors. Oh, gosh. You've changed, you've changed my whole style. You potentially well, changed my style. It does. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I had a meeting the other day and there were a group of women there who all, you know, were saying what you're saying. We don't, we, we don't want to be held down in business because of the fact we're women. We want to be taken yeah. for what we know. They all had bright red lipstick on and high heels shoes. Going, oh, no. Wait, no, Alan, you can't say that we can't wear high heels as well. So you're taking away our red lipstick and our high heels. We basically got... We got not well. They, they, I'm talking for myself, by the way. Uh, these oh, are things on, that I personally Look, love. high heels. Let's talk about high heels. Sure. Why would you spend your life as from a teenage <laughs> here onwards, walking around on a pair of stilts that are going to break your out? Why would you do that? Well, you just can't understand. There's a reason for it. That when a girl hits puberty and she starts to turn into a woman, hormones make her legs grow proportionally longer than the rest of her body. That's why young teenage girls oh, have really? long legs. And it shows their ability to bear children. As a result, when you get to 19 or 20, your legs remain the same, but your body catches up, so your legs look shorter. So the way to regain that 11% height is you get on high heels. Oh, my. Okay, so it's going to be really obvious to everyone that – your books, and I'm about to ask you about a course that you've recently just created for self-help juggernaut Mind Valley, but your books, your courses, you know, and everything to do with body language, this is so important in the boardroom, outside the boardroom, and especially in relationships, whether they're professional or personal. It, it's fascinating what you teach and, and the things that you can learn just by tuning into your own body and becoming, I think in the book you talk about how to get better at learning and reading and expressing your body language starts with becoming just super aware of what you're doing, what others are doing. Is that correct? Well, it is because 60 to 80% of all the impact we make face-to-face with people is done in these ways. They're done without words or sounds. It's done non-verbally. And Barbara and I had a meeting uh, a couple of days ago, a very important meeting with two male directors of a big company and one female. They came to see us here on the Sunshine Coast in, in Queensland. And uh, we got dressed based on how we would need to look to impress them. I didn't have a tie-on because you've got a tie-on in Queensland. There's clearly you're a lawyer from Melbourne come to deliver a writ. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but we, we dressed, I dressed as I am now with a jacket on with an open neck shirt. And she said to me, am I looking right for this meeting? Now, Barb's a gorgeous bird, right? You've seen the yep, I've seen her. She's blonde hair. She was a professional model for years as a teenager. And I looked at it and I thought, they're not going to listen to a word I'm saying if you go looking like that. Now, she had a business suit on, a business, yeah. business suit on. Um, she, she took the bright, the bright red lipstick off. Uh, mm-hmm. Which she wore the other night when I took her out to dinner, she put that on. You know, yeah, yeah. Playing the game, and I love, I love the game. That's true. Yeah. But in business, we don't want it to be a distraction with the guy, or for the women to, th- or the woman to think, oh, she's trying to play these guys because she's looking like this. Mm-hmm. And so she put on the small earrings, the muted lipstick, not much appear, and she tied her hair back. You've got long blonde hair. Mm-hmm. The longer the hair, the le- more they'll judge your femininity, the less they'll listen to what you say. So she tied it back up behind her hair, and she put on her glasses. She looked a bit like Lois Lane. 
Uh, that mm. meeting it went extremely well because she looked like she was running the show. Well, she was running the show. That's true. But she looked like she was. Whereas if she had to turn up looking like she was going out to lunch with me, which we're about to do, and she was dressing for that event too. Yeah. They're less likely to listen to it. They're likely to think, oh, she's a bit of a dolly bird. Let's check her out. Yeah. Because, look, when, you, when you're meeting a man in business or socially, and women don't like this idea, uh, his first thought is, I wonder if you've got a nice personality. That's not his first thought. When he looks in a Playboy centerfold, he's not asking if she has, has a law degree and can play the piano. He's not thinking that. You need to be aware of that. That, that has not changed and will probably never change. It's been with us for 100,000 years. It's hardwired into the limbic system, the ancient brain that responds without awareness. Yeah. We can change our front lobes and how we think consciously about behaviour, but the ancient system is still driving your needs and wants, and that's why yeah. only people get confused today, especially women. Uh, so, look, I, I'm independent. I'm doing what I like. I don't need any men, but they still have this urge to want to be with guys without understanding why. To understand the evolutionary biology of it, it makes sense and you can relax and really enjoy the whole thing. Mm. And look, there's no doubt I can I can hear and feel that there would be some listeners completely fighting up against all of this. And I think yeah. where the what I would say is experiment. <laughs> Here comes the noose. But experiment and try for yourself and see if there's a there's a difference or a different reaction. And and you know, like with anything in life, try it for yourself, try it on and see if it works or if it doesn't work for you and what you want in your life and you know, and for your personal brand. Yeah, absolutely. Look, the example I gave before, which is a Fairly basic one, but if you went to any business meeting with a low top and cleavage showing, yeah. a totally different response than if yeah. you up, say, but when we always say to them, keep it pretty much where you've got it now. That's the yeah. less flesh is better for women. So yeah. that doesn't have that same impact because women mm. are judging men not firstly by their personality, but not firstly by their physical appearance, but by their personality. So mm. all the guys got to do really, you've got to have a great sense of humour and be a caring, sensitive guy, and you'll do well with women anywhere. Uh, he doesn't have to look like a hunk. Yeah, yeah. And fancy if he does, but he doesn't have to. Thank <laughs> God for that. <laughs> Alan, I've loved this conversation so much, and I, I really do genuinely encourage and hope that everyone who listens does go out and get the definitive book of body language. I'm also going to be adding a link to the show notes to your Mind Valley course. Mm -hmm. And would you say that that course encapsulates a lot of what's in the book as well? The Mind Valley course, which uh, got launched in Southern Hemisphere, oh, in fact, worldwide last Friday, has mm. It's 18 units of 15 minutes each. They're short films on everything you need to know about body language. Barb and I face the thing collectively and jointly. Um, I think it's certainly the most extensive and biggest course that's ever been put out. It really is. Amazing. We're really excited about it. And Mind Valley, as you know, is a it's, a it's a juggernaut. It I, really is. I, I couldn't believe how big that was. Bigger than Harvard University as an yeah, online. It's event. huge. It's really huge. And congratulations. Well, thank you. Yeah, we're, we're excited about it. It's, it's really great. And, and thanks for the opportunity today. Oh, no, thank you so much for your time and energy and all of the tips. They're, they're so practical. They're so helpful. And like I said, I think it's about experimenting. It's trying it on. And I like that, you know, the things that you're talking about are a little bit controversial in today's world. But you know what? There's science that backs up everything that you're saying. So 
you know, we may be evolving, we may be changing, but it is important to recognize that we are coming up against, as you said, thousands of years of evolution. And whilst there's change happening, it does take time for that to come into play. So thank you. Everyone needs to follow you, read your books, add to the 30 million readers that you already have. I really look forward to hopefully having you on again in the future. You have the bright red lipstick, Kelly. Yeah, I know. <laughs> it's going to really be hard to, to take off. Thank you so much, Alan. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. If you did, share what you learned and help others find the podcast by leaving a review. If you would like to attend the next virtual class in real time, be sure to sign up to the invite list via carlylion.com or the link in the show notes below. I look forward to having you at the next class.